submitting himself to God. Chapter 6 then brings us to the difficult and perplexing teaching that his followers will have to. Jesus says this, eat his flesh and drink his blood. I'd encourage you to go back uh, to August of 2022. You can listen to our sermons through chapter 6. And this now brings us into chapter 7. We found in our opening reading that, that wherever Jesus goes, there are a few responses. He's received by some. He's passively received by others, but they won't voice this reception that they have of Jesus. And lastly, he's outright rejected and maligned by the majority. Conflict fills the ministry of Jesus. And as as Christians, as followers of Christ, we can also anticipate this type of reception to the good news about Jesus. We can expect conflict. It will be received by some. Some will just go along with it, barring any resistance or true commitment to the gospel. And many, many others will hate you for this, for your faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus, and also your your commitment to uh, our great commission call. And so this brings us to our main idea for this morning that we find in this section of scripture. Our main idea is this. Every group Jesus encounters wrestles with unbelief, often responding in these two ways, either silence or outrage, right? We saw in that opening reading that they didn't want to say a word for fear of the Jews is what uh, the passage says. So Jesus encounters people. He's constantly wrestling with their unbelief and who he is as the savior of the world. And this is a natural result of our fallen nature. We are naturally resistant to God and, and we live, honestly, in open rebellion to him apart from his, his gracious provision of salvation to us. And therefore, it is intrinsic that many respond to God in unbelief, rather through, through silent indifference or outright opposition. I want to back up a little bit into John chapter 6, kind of gives us some insight into what deal, uh, Jesus is dealing with in this section of Scripture. So we'll look at uh, 660. 66, and then we'll jump into chapter 7. The Bible says this, When many of his disciples heard it, so this teaching that he was giving in chapter 6, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? After this, many of his disciples, right? So, so this extended crowd that he had, they were followers of his, not the 12, but, but a larger crowd that he's teaching. Uh, disciples turned back, and they no longer walked with him because they found Jesus' teaching in chapter 6 too difficult. Now going into chapter 7, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So you kind of understand there's, there's definitely a collision and a tension in the ministry of Jesus. He's feeling the heat, isn't he? He's feeling the pressure. His teaching, the true teaching of God's word is, is being presented with a lot of resistance from the Jews, so much so that the religious leaders are seeking ways to kill him, to take his life. The road that Jesus traveled was, was a difficult one. And subsequently, now what's the application for us? We can, as followers of Jesus, we can also expect to walk a difficult path in the face of a fallen world. In context, the present uh, pericope that we're in takes place at the onset of the Feast of Tabernacles, Tents, Booths. Okay, what is that? This was one of three major Jewish festivals, very important Jewish festival, one that urged Jewish men to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. 
It's, it's the most celebratory of the three main Jewish festivals. First, recognizing this, the current year's harvest. So this would have been in about October, the harvest season, to celebrate God's provision for food for his people. And also, it, ha- it served kind of a dual purpose. It was also a, a, a festival that reflected on the period of time that God delivered the Israelites and they lived in tents or booths out in the desert. That's why it's called the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles or Tents, as you see in some of your translations. Le- Leviticus twenty three thirty four commanded that, that the Jewish men observe this festival. Bible says this, speak to the people of Israel saying on the 15th day of this seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths. And so with this background in mind, Jesus is healing of the lame man at the pool on the Sabbath, right? Thinking back to chapter five, his instruction then in chapter six on eating his body and drinking his blood. Now we're going to mine into this passage to seek and to understand Jesus and the difficulty of his ministry. We understand this first point this morning. We understand first that many were blind to the purpose of miracles. They were blind to the purpose of the miracles of Jesus. The beginning of chapter 7 brings us to, to this, to an exchange between Jesus and his family, his relatives, his half-brothers. Verses 3 to 9 says this, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Okay, for not even his brothers believed in him. Isn't that just astonishing? An astonishing statement that his brothers who have grown up with him, they don't even believe him. They don't believe that he's the savior of the world. In a sense right here, they're challenging him. Jesus, why don't you just show everybody who you are? You can kind of hear a mocking tone in in their voice. Jesus said to them, my time has not, this is important, yet come. Because later he will go up to the festival of booths. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. I want to pause there. Why can't it hate them? Because they're still in the world. They don't believe that Jesus is the Savior. They're unbelievers. They're disconnected from the Father. Jesus goes on, but it hates me, that's the world, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. This is the bad news that leads us to the good news about Jesus. That the, the works of the world are evil, right? The gospel offends us first before it saves us. It's an offensive message. The gospel says this, You're not good enough. You need the work of another. Jesus goes on, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. We see here the obedience of Jesus. He doesn't doesn't pick up on the challenge of his brothers. He says, I'm going to obey the father. My time has not yet come for me to go. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Again, even his own family does not believe in his work. The Bible states this clearly. We know this. I mean, we know the ending to the story. We have uh, two letters in the New Testament that are written by the brothers of Jesus, Jude and James. And so eventually the miracle of resurrection will finally convince many of Jesus's family that he is indeed the savior of the world. However, in, in this present passage, the miracles thus far have not been enough. 
Right? They were present at the, at the wedding in Cana. They, they witnessed the, the water turned into wine before their very eyes. That wasn't enough. The healing of the lame man at, at Bethesda by the pool was not enough to overcome their unbelief. And so we can understand they are blind to the intended purpose of the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus were to do this. They were to reveal the power of God in their midst, that Jesus was over even creation. And also this, that the kingdom of God was breaking through into that present time. The time of sin and suffering is is being eroded away as as the kingdom of God takes root. The, The lame will walk, the blind will see, the dead will rise again. But unbelief is a difficult sickness to overcome. In fact, it's so difficult that it takes the miracle of God's spirit gripping our unbelieving hearts, opening our eyes to the precious gift of salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. Some of your friends, now, now looking to our, our present time, some of your friends will, will challenge your witness to them, your presenting of the gospel to them. They may think this, if only, if only I could see God move in this particular way, if only I could see a miracle for myself, then I'll believe. And yet we see here in Jesus' own family, we understand here that even miracles right in the face of, of Jesus' own family were not enough to overcome their hardened hearts. Moreover, we witness here the perfection of Jesus Right, this is his brothers, right? Think, think back to your, if you have siblings, your sibling challenges you on something, what are you going to do? Oh, you got that. I'll meet the challenge, right? Jesus, though, he doesn't get puffed up. He has no sin, but continues in full obedience to the eternal decree of the Father when he says, for my time has not yet fully come. But the truth of the matter is this, at just the right time, Jesus will be revealed. Those those seeking to kill him, they'll win, if we fast forward to the cross, they'll win for a time, three days to be exact, until he raises again from the grave, right? But what they don't realize is this, quoting Isaiah 53, 5, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. But in the present, unbelief and misunderstanding still grips his own brothers. And family, we can expect the same response at times in our witness to those who are in unbelief or rejection of Christ. But don't be discouraged. God's purpose and his spirit is powerful, able to overcome the hardness of a human heart. Jesus' brothers too became bold witnesses for the kingdom of God, right? So what can we take away from this section? Be faithful to proclaim God is faithful to transform hearts and lives. He calls you to be obedient to proclaiming the gospel. God will do the work. I'm confident in this. Next, point number two, moving from his unbelieving brothers, we witness the the greater crowd is, number two, blind to the purpose of teaching or his teaching. Blind to the purpose of his teaching. Verses 10 to 18. But after his brothers had had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, 
but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. They weren't ready to reveal the condition of their heart. They were afraid of man. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, right? They were astonished saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's, he's never studied, right? What's his credentials? How does he have this sort of knowledge? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. This is a challenge against the religious leaders that will, just after this, speak out against Christ. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The religious leaders were seeking their own glory. Jesus opposes this. But the one who seeks the glory of him, who sent him, is true. This is so important. Hear this statement that Jesus is making. And in him, there is no falsehood. Jesus is the truth. This particular section is such a great view into the ministry of Jesus. The collision of the, of the good, right? The goodness of Christ with the blindness of the world. The crowd is hearing the powerful words of God from the mouth of God himself. Do you guys get that? Like this is God himself in the flesh speaking to these people and they continually reject him, reject him, reject him. They've long, this people, the Jews, they've longed for this moment. But the fear of being rejected by their own religious leaders keeps them from coming forward and proclaiming their astonishment of this teaching. They just kept quiet. They remained silent. And their fear is not just being fearful of the leaders, but in the religious leaders themselves, there's an inherent fear of the loss of power and control over the people. Pride in their own humanistic interpretation and application of the law deems them deaf to the truth being proclaimed. They can't hear it. They won't hear it because sin has clouded their hearing. They can't hear God even when he stands directly in front of them. They have not ears to hear and understand Moreover, the heart and humility of Jesus is evident. He seeks not here his own glory, but the glory of who? God the Father. And he speaks not on his own, but that which the Father has given him. And what he says is true, I'll say this, and right and good. In him, hear this family, there is no falsehood. In much the same way as Jesus' brothers who have seen with their eyes the miracles of Christ, this group has heard with their ears the very voice of God, and yet none will stand with him. That's remarkable. They've anticipated this coming of the Messiah for generations, for years and years. Now God stands face to face with them, and they can't hear him, and they don't see him. I want, to, I want to encourage you in this. Don't let the fear of other people's reaction hold you back from the love of Christ. Don't let pride and the potential loss of control and power in your own life hold you back from the love of Christ. 
This, this crew, this group of people, they only needed to let go and humble themselves in, in the face of Jesus to hold fast to him, and he is faithful to save and forgive. And yet they resisted the Savior that they had waited for. They dismissed the very words of God. It's heartbreaking. Some of you have been waiting. I, wanna, I want you to hear this. Some of you in this room... You've been waiting for a breakthrough, a change, a transformation in your life. Jesus offers this to you right here and right now. Don't miss out like this crowd did. Don't stay silent. Voice your loyalty to Christ. In him, he said again, there is no falsehood. Jesus will say later on in in the gospel of John that he is the way, the truth, and what? The life. Lastly, point number three, we see in this passage that they were blind to the purpose of the law. Blind to the purpose of the law. Jesus continues his instruction to the crowd. Remember the statement he just made. You think this is a point of emphasis? In him, there is no falsehood. In him, there is no falsehood. He goes on, verses 19 to 23. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. I want to pause there because we may have forgotten. It's been, you know, over six months since we've been in the gospel of John. If you didn't go back and read chapter five, in in John chapter five, verse 18, it says that the Jews were seeking to kill him. Here the crowd says, well, who's seeking to kill you? Well, back in John chapter five, verse 18, it says that they were seeking to kill him. In him, there is no falsehood, right? Jesus speaks the truth. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's whole body well. Remember, chapter 7 hinges all the way back to that healing in John chapter 5. Right, talk about here the religious leaders now. So we have layers of unbelief. We see it first in which group? His half-brothers, right? So his own family. We see it next in the larger crowd of Jews. Now we see it specific to the religious leaders. They had the scriptures memorized. Who here has memorized the whole Bible? I haven't. They had them memorized. They should know this. They should know who they're talking to. But they've, they've missed the forest for the trees, right? The Son of God stands before them, and they still are blind to his light. The religious leaders have missed the whole point and purpose of the law that they claim to uphold, which which the law was to do this to point them to that which is before them. Who? Jesus. They've held to the religious rite of circumcision for, for generations Yet that which is a mere type and shadow. So things in the Old Testament always point to Christ. That which is a mere type and shadow pointing to the ultimate purification of the whole person was elevated, that circumcision, to the highest religious rite by the Jews. They missed the point. And here Jesus 
has just made in the healing of the lame man at the pool in Bethesda, Jesus has healed the whole body, not just one part. What they knew in part, the religious leaders, Jesus reveals in the whole when he heals the whole person. But they're blind to it. The sin of pride overwhelms their judgment so that they do not judge Christ with right judgment. In their minds, they are justified. They're made right by their perceived adherence to the law. But they have it all wrong. They are what we would call self-righteous. Because their hope is fully in the law to save, but not in the great lawgiver who has both come to fulfill and save. You see, I want you to hear this family this morning. Because we, man, we have a bent towards this self-righteousness in our own lives. We look at our own works. We want to build ourselves up on our own works and we fail to see the work of Christ. But I want you to hear this. Salvation is an act of grace alone. The ending to this section in sermon shows the the blatant self-righteousness of the religious leaders. Even, even in the midst, now, this is, there's some irony here. In the midst of a festival, the most celebratory festival, that remembered the undeserved deliverance of God from enslavement in Egypt, God's grace and moving forward with his people. If you think back to Exodus, even when they spoke out against God and his servant Moses, when they longed to go back into chains, when they crafted an idol of gold to worship at the foot of Mount Sinai, God charged forth in love, mercy, and grace. This festival of booths is a a reminder of God's gracious and bountiful provision of the harvest, literally giving them food and his deliverance of his people in the desert. And yet, self-righteousness still grips their heart in the face of, again, think of what's what's the conversation. They are face-to-face with God in the flesh. They have no recognition of God of the one whom all of Scripture and the law has pointed to. That was the point of the law, to point him to Christ. But they take the comfortable path. No risk, no grace, no mercy, just law. You have to fit their mold, and if you don't, you have to be dealt with harshly. That's, going, that's what's going on with Jesus here. And we can sit here, we got to turn the mirror on ourselves. We can sit here in judgment, but how often do we act the same way? We judge by outward appearances. We judge and condemn according to a law created in our own sinful hearts. And we condemn before we ever seek to understand. We struggle with the same flesh that kept the religious leaders in unbelief. But by the grace of Of God have we been freed from the chains of unbelief and rejection of God's salvation. I'm thankful to the Lord that he overcame my hardened heart. In this context, though the Pharisees were still blind to the purpose of the law and the word of God, which was to point them to the one who is now before them, Paul later on in Galatians, Paul himself was what? He was a recovering self-righteous Pharisee, wasn't he? He would later say this to the Galatian church, Galatians 3, 24. So then the law was our guardian 
until Christ came, right? It was a signpost, a marker that was supposed to take us on the pathway to point us to the greater thing coming, redemption through the blood of Christ. Paul goes on, in order that we might be justified by faith not by the works of the law. See, that's what was going on in, in the Galatian church. There, there were what was called Judaizers that were infiltrating the church and they were saying, yeah, you may be saved by Jesus, but you have to do this and this and this and this and this. That's wrong. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so I call forth to all in this room, to judge by right judgment. Our hearts are desperately wicked. They cannot be trusted. We have to trust the one who speaks truth, who calls us, who calls to us in our own legalistic and sinful wilderness, who opens the blindness of our hearts to the goodness of his grace. Cry out to Jesus this morning. Call out to him as he strips away your pride and overcomes your sinful rejection. He is faithful to forgive us all of our shortcomings and proves, hear this, proves his mercy and grace by doing this, willingly laying down his life for his people. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and lived perfectly in our place. He faced rejection from his own people. He was spit on. He was crucified. He shed his blood. He took the punishment that we deserved, dying on the cross, going into the grave, and on the third day, he raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. Place your faith, trust, and confidence in this finished work of Christ. Run away from your pride and self-righteousness this morning. This is the mercy and grace of Jesus. And now fast forwarding 2,000 years later, Christians, Jesus was not only, he's basically on trial here. They're calling him out. Jesus was not only on trial 2,000 years ago, but he remains on trial in our sophisticated Western society even today. This is our application. Jesus is on trial in our present day just as he was in his first coming. Verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What's Jesus saying? What's your choice going to be? Are you going to receive this free gift of grace that I have, or are you going to keep walking according to your checklist? We must be Christian. We must be aware of the task that we have before us. For those who have called upon Jesus, we're called to proclaim this good news, even in the face of misunderstanding and outright rejection. Family, Truth be told, okay, the path of following Christ is not the easiest path. It's a difficult one. To stand for truth and goodness, to stand for the grace of God, to proclaim Jesus as the only way to reconciliation with God the Father. It's not the easy path. In the face of misunderstanding, in the face of self-righteous religious people who continually reject the grace of God in favor of their own works, we must do this, proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Jesus didn't give up. He didn't run away. He was obedient even unto death on the cross. Don't give up. Give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ 
The Bible gives us, I want to end with this, the Bible gives us a startling reminder of the task before us and the expected response. I'm going to turn, this isn't in your, uh, on the screens, but uh, if you want, you can turn with me, 2 Corinthians 2, I'm going to read verses 14 to 17. I think it's so relevant uh, to this section of scripture. This is our calling. This is our application as followers of Jesus. Paul instructing the Corinthian church. He says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of of the knowledge of him everywhere, right? That's our task, that we would spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere. Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. Listen to this. And among those who are perishing. Do you see the two ways? Those who are being saved, those who are perishing. Verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death, uh, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What is Paul getting at? He's saying we have a monumental task before us, but God in his gracious love and kindness has given us his spirit, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of of truth and boldness to proclaim the gospel, even in the face of a world that rejects the grace of God. And so I want to encourage you this morning, Christian, we have the greatest news that's ever uh, graced the face of this earth. It's, It's the news of redemption through Jesus Christ. Many will reject, but God wants to use you for those who will receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. 